celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, this is yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, we're joined by Curtis Evelo. Uh, I am representing the East Coast. Uh, Curtis is over in the Pacific Northwest, so we are coast to coast. He is representing. <laughs> so uh, it is... Joy and privilege to be with you uh, this afternoon. We uh, appreciate your patience. Uh, last week, my son had a um, he's a, he's an upcoming high schooler. It's hard to believe that he's going to be a freshman in high school uh, next next year. So he had a thing last minute. We didn't know about it till like a day ahead of time where um, he was going to have a thing at uh, local high school. He's hoping to go to early college if all goes well, but. Uh, he had had a local high school, and it lasted a lot longer than I anticipated. So we had to postpone to this week. Well, this Thursday, uh, my son has something at the early college he's going to try to do, and so that's going to take – we don't know how long that will be. So we moved last Thursday's podcast to today, tonight, uh, this Tuesday. So uh, if if you're uh, logging on, uh, and we, we, uh, we're spe- at a special day and time. And so we thank you for joining us. Uh, we are having troubles. If you're logging on to the live uh, podcast, we're having troubles for some reason with our Facebook feed. Uh, the YouTube feed is working out well. If you go to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie, uh, you can catch the uh, the podcast there. Uh, you can see uh, the recordings there and starting to get a lot more views, I've noticed, on our YouTube account. And we're thankful for that. Uh, if you watching us there be sure to subscribe uh, so you can catch the latest whenever we go live and stay up to date with uh, these podcasts also again on facebook if you're joining us just simply uh, you know if you've got the post there uh, log on there hopefully we'll figure out what's going on as to why it's not going over to the facebook feed coming up uh, by next by the next podcast We've got some great things coming up on the Bellator Christie team. We are working together with a big project. We've got a team meeting this Friday, and we're going to have more news on that front coming up in the weeks and months ahead. I also have a book coming out that's uh, going to be coming out sooner than anticipated on heaven uh, called Conversations About Heaven. And so you'll be hearing more about that as we go through the season and especially going into season seven as well. So we've got a lot of great things on tap at Bellator Christie, and we're just so thankful that you are with us and joining us for the ride. Before we get into tonight's podcast and turn it over to uh, Curtis, Curtis shared some uh, news with me. Um, <clears throat> shared some news with me that is uh, was really um, disturbing to hear, um, and that is we we got some um, news from Dr. Mike Heiser. We had initially planned. To have him on the podcast with us, uh, I think it was last last season, but unfortunately uh, he has stage four cancer, and uh, he's been going through treatments. Uh, he's been going through um, the chemo and radiation and all those things to to try to 
to take care of of the cancer. But unfortunately, uh, he shared word this past week that uh, it, that the treatments aren't working and they don't appear to be working. And unfortunately, uh, they've given him just a <clears throat> brief amount of time uh, remaining. But you know the the post that he shared was so powerful as he was talking about how he appreciates the life that the Lord gave him. He appreciates uh, the ministry that he's been given, uh, encouraging people to reach out and to to help so that the ministry can continue. And um, it talks about how he can't wait to join that heavenly council. Uh, and uh, so just the way he, way he went about that, the courage and the faith that he exuded that ex- was exuded through um yeah. through that post was very telling and whether or not and i know <clears throat> some people have, you know find his writings controversial i don't think they need to be i don't think he ever intended them to be that way but um some people find some of his work controversial but no matter where you stand on his work we're talking about a child of god we're talking about a man of god and so be much in prayer for michael heiser and his family uh, and uh, I know that they're going to need your prayers and support uh, coming up in the days and weeks ahead. So, uh, Curtis, any anything you'd like to say on uh, that front? I was just going to say right there that's one of the one of the big books that he's wrote, um, uh, "The Unseen Realm" by Dr. Michael Heiser, um, recovering uh, the supernatural worldview of the Bible. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there that really uh, makes you think uh, makes you be aware that we just, we aren't just uh, living on this rock by ourselves. Um, There's um, there's another realm that we don't, uh, we don't uh, take part in or be part of. So um, the other thing I did want to say, Brian is if anyone has logos Bible software, they can be very thankful for Dr. Michael Heiser's input in that since he was part of uh, the Logos Bible software for a long time. Oh, absolutely. He was uh, one of the main researchers for Logos for, for many That's years. Right. And right. so, absolutely, uh, we can all be thankful. And if you know, I tell you, if you're looking for a good, it is a little pricey depending on what, uh, pro, what package you get, but I'll tell you, I probably spent more money than I should on Logos, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's one of the most powerful Bible software programs, one of the most powerful research programs out there uh, that I've ever that I've ever come across. I mean, you can hover hover over any word in the Bible, and it comes up with the Hebrew root, the Greek, the mm-hmm. all of those, the applications, what other places it's found, all of that. It's it's insane the the ability of that software absolutely so anyway um just keep him in prayer and uh his family in prayer that there's uh peace involved and oh man yeah just uh something that just wrenches at your heart so so many hurting people here lately it's just it's really overwhelming sometimes when you stop and think about it it is yep yep very much so. Well, Brian, um, let's get into this the glorification uh, episode six glorification, the intermediate state 
paradise, the resurrection, and new creation. These are all things that are, um, I'm assuming, um, will flow from each each position to each position in this. Um, so let's just go ahead, jump right in with what do we mean by glorification? Let, let me go ahead and say that we, we're going to delve into a little, I mean, and really talking about the announcement we gave about Michael Heiser at the outset of the podcast is really in, in God's time and God's sovereignty. This is a perfect time to have a podcast like this. Because as we talk about glorification, there is a bit that delves into eschatology. Um, but really, we're talking more about the afterlife. We're, we're talking about really that point. Now, if you go back into one of the initial podcasts we did on the, so, the soteriology, when we first started soteriology, we talked about the time dimension, you know, how we have been saved, that means justified, how we are being saved, that's being sanctified, and how we will be saved, that that will be saved, talking about the future, looking to that point in time, that period of time when the when our salvation is brought into its fullness, when our salvation is complete in, in its full form. And so that is where we're glorified. We've been given the the glory of God. The glory of God is bestowed upon us, and we've been made in the image of Christ. So when we talk about glorification, in the Old Testament, the word kabod uh, refers to a perceptible attitude, an individual's display of perhaps a splendor, wealth, pomp, circumstance, um, talking about their strength. Uh, the, the glory that they have, the, the uh, display of, of power or, or well-being. Uh, Millard Erickson states that when used with respect to God, uh, kebod means uh, does not point to one particular attribute, but to the greatness of his entire nature. Uh, so, for instance, Psalm 24, 7 through 10 speaks of God as the king of glory, and as king he is attended by his hosts and marked by infinite splendor and beauty. So here we're talking about the the glory, the splendor, the, the majesty of God, beauty and splendor and power of God. And in the New Testament, the word doxa uh, conveys the meaning of brightness, splendor, magnificence, and fame. Uh, so in, in this sense, the divine brightness or illumination is given to Christ. If you recall, recall if you will, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, perhaps most likely Mount Hermon, one of the highest mountains in the, in the Israeli region, uh, snow-capped mountain on, on many, on many times, many, during many times of the year. Uh, it actually, that snow melt feeds into the Jordan River as one of the sources of the Jordan River. But when Christ took his disciples, Peter, James, Peter, James, and John on that mountain, they saw Jesus as he really truly was. They saw him in his splendor, his majesty, in his glory, the luminosity of God's splendor around him. Uh, so this, this divine brightness or illumination is, is shown forth from Christ and it's shared with God's people 
at his, especially his second coming, but I think it's even before that. So in simple terms, glorification speaks to the final completion of our salvation as we are endured with God's, or endued with God's majestic glory in a perfected state. Glorification is linked with the future fulfillment of God's promises in the afterlife and even the life after afterlife. Uh, there is a life after afterlife, and we're here we're talking about uh, the new creation to come after the resurrection that happens uh, when Christ returns. So uh, the amazing thing about it, only God can do this. Only God can take heaven and make heaven even better than heaven. <laughs> and that's what he's going to do uh, with a new creation. Yeah. When you, when you were saying that, um, it, when you were repeating the psalm there, um, my mind went instantly um, to Ezekiel when in Ezekiel 40, uh, was it 40, 43, the glory of the Lord fills the temple and, uh, and how just glorious that was that uh, when Ezekiel saw that he was just in total awe. So I'm going to share the screen. You said it was Ezekiel 43. Yeah, Ezekiel 43. Yep. It's highlighted. I'm not sure why that is highlighted. Uh, Okay. Um, It talks about the spirit. The glory of the Lord entered the temple by way of the gate that faced east. Mm -hmm. Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court. So we see the glory of God coming through. The uh, the temple there uh, coming into the, the eastern of his voice was like many waters. I mean, just yeah. yeah. If you've ever been by a waterfall, and and up close, you can't you can't hear anything, and you can't even yeah. You know, it's just so loud. Just mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Amazing. Absolutely. So, number two, then, so the question two, are we glorified at death? And if so, what what happens at the point of death, and where do we go? This this is a part of part, a point of theology that has been really contended, and and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I, I'm very frustrated at the the nature of monism that has infiltrated the modern day church. And by monism, I'm talking about this idea that all that exists is the physical world, that all we are is a physical body, that there's no immaterial soul. So uh, there's some people, even some you know big name scholars who have taken on this notion. Listen, this is going backwards. This is not a biblical concept. It's going backwards. It's going back to the philosophy of the Sadducees. Uh, and the Sadducees did not represent all of Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees believed in the soul. They believed in an afterlife at the point of death. They believed in a future resurrection as well. The Essenes did also. So where this notion is that, uh, where this notion comes from that to hold that there's an afterlife in a disembodied state is coming more from Greek philosophy than the Old Testament and from mm-hmm. biblical theology is b- beyond me. All you have to do is take a simple glimpse at the teachings of Jesus, period. 
and we see that there is a life beyond death. And here's the reason, because I want to share a story in that book coming out called Conversations About Heaven uh, of an interaction that I had, uh, some interactions I had with individuals who were led to believe that there was nothing beyond this life. And they were distraught and thinking, well, yeah, we're looking forward to the to the resurrection. We're looking forward to the to the final resurrection. That's great. That's wonderful. But but let's be honest, what what about until then? Um so it it really brought about a, a great amount of despair in this family's life. Mm-hmm. So we're 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 causing despair for no good reason. And quite honestly, this philosophy that's found in certain circles is not biblical. It's not biblical at all. I've even read some article in preparation for this podcast say, well, there's no good solid evidence that the Bible teaches in an intermediate state. That's a bunch of baloney. There is. And we're going to see some of those reasons in, uh, here in just a few moments. So are we glorified at death? We are indeed. The ultimate nature of our glorification, however, comes at the resurrection, which happens when Christ returns. That's the fullness. That's the completion of this glorification. The resurrection brings about our final glorified state. When we die, we are escorted into the very presence of God. And here again in my book, Conversations About Heaven, I'm going to delve into this issue at a greater depth than what we have a chance to do tonight. But for now, we should note uh, that uh, there are several passages of Scripture that speak to the intermediate state, and the intermediate state being that point between our death and that final resurrection. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.8, and I want to flip this over here for a second, Corinthians 5.8, and uh, you, you can tell that this is an important passage of Scripture because I've got them highlighted. Curtis, how about reading verses 1 through 10 for us? And I've I've got it here on the screen. Okay, so verses uh, 1 through 10. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since we are clothed. We will, we will not have, or we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. So, so that morality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as down payment. So we were always confident and know that while we were at home in the body, we were all we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaired or repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here again, in this passage of Scripture, Paul is talking about how the ultimate goal is to have that resurrected body, to be clothed uh, with this glorified body. But he makes the point to say that it's actually a preferred thing to be away from this body and at home with the Lord, because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. 
So there is a distinction that must be made. So when we leave this body of flesh, our soul is taken to the very presence of God Almighty. So believers live in a spiritual disembodied state for a period of time. That's not permanent. It's not forever. But we live in that disembodied state for a period of time because this span of time exists between death and the final resurrection. Here again, the state is typically called the intermediate state. It's not the final state because the final state was is going to be when we're in that resurrected body. Uh, but it's it's kind of a holding place. Until we have that that period where Christ returns and we are risen with these new bodies. So here again, here's another. I, I want us to read some other. So in Luke 23, 43, I've already got this here. It's a simple verse. We won't turn to it. Well, actually, let me see if I can do this. Hold on a second. Uh, I, I want to pull it up since we, we've got this on the screen. I'm going to pull it up so you can see. Um, well, in just a second here, Brent, uh, Brian. I heard, um, I heard, and I don't remember where I heard it, but the but the person that was ta- discussing it, um, I was listening to a lecture, and they were saying how when these letters were delivered, they had one of the scribes or the person that was delivering the letter, and the person um, handing it off, and the person reading the letter would have learned how how. Um, Paul or the the person writing the letter would have acted or would have been, and they kind of take on that um, um, energy and excitement of how how that person would have said it at that time. Um, and I thought I thought to myself, man, how how animated that could have been. Um, just reading just that part right there, um, how animated that could have been. Oh, sure. Well, here, here's another passage of scripture we need to take into consideration because because he, he, here's the way I look at this. This is so important, Curtis, to, to me personally, not only because of being a pastor, mm-hmm. a, a scholar, but 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 really a chaplain dealing with end of life issues. Let, let's take a look at Luke chapter 23. Jesus is hanging on the cross mm-hmm. and there's the criminal hanging there with him. And then uh, he says. One guy says, don't you fear God since we're you're understanding the same, you're uh, undergoing the same punishment. We are punished justly. He's talking this to the guy who's scorning Jesus on the other mm-hmm. side because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, look what Jesus said. Jesus says, truly, I tell you today. Um, what is it? See Meron, say Meron, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Hmm. That guy was going to die that day. And he hmm. says, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, he didn't say the new creation. He said paradise. Hmm. That very day. He didn't say tomorrow. He didn't say at the resurrection. He didn't say at the new creation. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus has a link Understanding paradise to be this intermediate state. Now, here's another passage of scripture I want to read to you. And this is in Luke chapter 16 um, in verse 19. And this is a very powerful passage of scripture. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Some people say that it may not even be a paradise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that may not even be a uh, parable. But Jesus says there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen 
purple. I'm wearing purple today, but uh, you had to be very wealthy to have anything dyed in purple because it was the most expensive dye around, made of the murex shellfish. So this guy was dressed in purple and fine linen, meaning he was very, very wealthy, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He was lying outside of his house. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died. He died. Now look what happens. This is Jesus's theology here. The poor Mm -hmm. man died and was carried away by the angels where to Abraham's side. This is a euphemism for paradise, which means that intermediate state. The rich man also died and was immediately and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you're in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Hmm. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. There is no way around that parable. That's pretty straightforward. And Absolutely. That's theology being taught by Rabbi Jesus. Absolutely. That is Jesu and Jesus' own theology right there mm-hmm. pertaining to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. That at the moment of death, the child of God, Lazarus, didn't have a lot on this earth, but he had faith. Notice, yeah. notice Jesus calls the poor man Lazarus by name, but he does not mention the rich man's name. Mm-hmm. Notice that. Uh, a very interesting thing. So, so here we see, here we see that at the moment of death, uh, Lazarus is taken from his body, escorted by the angels into the very presence of God by Abraham's side in paradise, in this place of the righteous. Okay. And so, and so we see that the rich man went to Hades instead. So again, as, as you said, Curtis, there is no way around this. There's another passage of scripture I want us to look at. And I'm hitting this hard tonight because the intermediate state has been, it seems like, attacked. And I don't understand why. Uh, in Acts chapter seven, Starting in 59, they were stoning Stephen, one of the early deacons, the first martyr of the church. Uh, and he called out. He saw Jesus, a vision of Jesus in heaven. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Hmm. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin, sin against them. And after this, he fell asleep. That's a euphemism talking about death. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
So Jesus received the spirit of Stephen at the moment of death. Right. Very important. Notice also here uh, in Matthew, let's take a look at Matthew 22, uh, verses 29 through 32. Curtis, you mind reading that for us? Yeah. He's talking to the Sadducees here, uh, correcting their theology, because, by the way, the Sadducees have the same notion that there's nothing after death. But look what Jesus says. Yeah. So Jesus answered them, quote, you are mistaken because you don't know the scripture, scriptures or the power of God. For the, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but God of the living, unquote. The only way that makes sense is yeah. to understand that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. That, there's no way around it. There's right. absolutely no way around it. Let's take a look at another passage of Scripture. This is one of the most depressive books, depressing books in the entire Bible, Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. Everything's vanity, Solomon says. You have good life, vanity. You have good job, vanity. You have uh, a lot of degrees, vanity. It's all meaningless, he says. The chief end of the matter is to is to worship God and, and serve him. Right. But look what he says, even in one of the most depressive, depressing books in the entire Bible. Look what he says in chapter 12, verse 7. I mean, let me scroll up here. Um, well, let's just let's just go six, even go six and seven if you want to. But uh, Curtis, yeah. you mind reading that for us? Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped and the gold bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well and the dust returns to the earth as it once was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. <laughs> absolute, One of the most futility, yeah, absolute futility, said the teacher, everything is futile. Everything in this life is futile without God. And look at verse 7. When mm-hmm. death comes, dust returns to the earth. The body returns to the dust as it once was. And the spirit goes to who? Mm-hmm. The God back who to, gave it. Back to God who gave it. So here mm-hmm. again, even Solomon is teaching in this uh, spiritual state. But one of the most powerful passages of scripture in my, my estimation comes to us in Romans chapter eight, yeah. uh, looking at verses 38 and uh, 39. Um, so I'll go ahead and read this for, I am persuaded. Paul says that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And notice death itself was listed in that, not death. Death itself cannot separate you from the love of God because to be absent from this body is to be in the very presence of Almighty God. So the, the, the part to focus in on is nor any other created things. So nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing can separate you. Isn't that powerful when Paul puts that? Well, yeah, when Paul puts that down. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing can take <laughs> you away. It's amazing. 
Brian, so I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I do want to kind of bring up that there are the people that that think in uh, uh, about soul sleep. What what is it that that they're finding in these verses that that they that we are we don't see it? I mean, it clearly. So these verses clearly refute that idea. I feel. What what is that that's there? I would wholeheartedly agree with you. The only thing that that would speak to soul sleep is where it, it, it's a euphemism. Again, it's a it's a it's a matter of speech, uh, a, a, a cliche or, or, or a way of of speaking about the issue of death. We use the term "passed away." That's what mm-hmm. we use for death. So a lot of times in in hospice ministry, they may, may use the the term um, active or or transitioning. Transitioning is a word that means that a person is moving from uh, a living state to getting to the point that they're nearly that they're about to pass. Uh, mm-hmm. Active it means that it, it means that they're actively dying. That's what it means. It means that they're actively in the process of dying. Uh, we use the terms pass away and um, other terms like that as, as kind of euphemisms, as kind of uh, uh, just just manners of speech to reference, kind of soften the term death because death has that is a it has a finality to it. It it's just it's just not a nice word when we think about it. Uh, we we use softer words like like pass away and things of this nature. The same is true in biblical times where they were use the term sleep. Uh, and it's understood that the body was asleep. The body is not active. So, yeah. but there's two things going on there. It doesn't mean that the person stops consciously existing because here again, it's understood that the person's spirit is taken to God is talking about the physical frame is asleep, meaning that it's not active, it's not working. Uh, but it also has another theological connotation to it as well, because it anticipates that it's only sleeping because one day it will be reanimated and get back up. It's looking forward to that time of the resurrection when that body of flesh will be transformed into a glorified body. So in that sense, this this sleep, uh, the body sleeps is a euphemism for death. But in uh, it also, I think some people who hold to the soul sleep position take that term literally when, in fact, it's used as a metaphor for death. I think that's where they get that. But I'm right there with you. From the text we've read already, there's no room for the belief of soul sleep or any of these other iterations of uh, of anything but the uh, the idea that to be absent from this body is to be consciously living present with God Himself. Yeah, well, here in Mark four, uh, verse thirty five, Jesus or this Jesus healing the healing Jairus's daughter. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, "Your daughter is dead." Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what he had, what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, "Do not fear, only believe." What what, what are you at, Curtis? I'm sorry. What were you at? So Mark Mark four, and now I'm at verse thirty seven. Okay. 
Mark chapter four. Mm-hmm. I'm showing yep. a windstorm. Yep. In 37. And it says here, he, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People weep, weeping and wailing loudly. That means the, the funeral procession has already started taking place. They, you know, they had they had mourners and weepers, you know, that would that would that would bewail the 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 death. And when he had entered, he said to them, "Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping." And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and the mother and those who were with them, and went into the where the child was, taking her by her hand, and said. Talutha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up. Hmm. Yeah. So so here there he uses the term uh sleeping. They're again pointing to resurrection, but mm-hmm. there's still the understanding that the soul still lives on. Hmm. Yeah. So the next question, I'll just I'll just go. <laughs> is the heavenly abode in the intermediate state the same as paradise? Then, yeah, they're used. They're used the same. Uh, paradise refers to the intermediate intermediate state. Is talking about a lot of times when Jesus uses the term, it's used in that sense. It's talking about, like for instance, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the, the term of, paz- uh, of paradise or Abraham's bosom uh, are used as that spiritual abode. Uh, again, it's, it's surprising that anyone would doubt the biblical teaching of the intermediate state, given the teachings of Jesus and Paul. Uh, for me, it seems like it's pretty much an open and shut case. Uh, none of the counter arguments given against the intermediate state have ever seemed convincing to me at all. Uh, but just as paradise is the heavenly abode for the child of God until the time of resurrection, uh, Hades is the hellish holding place for the unbeliever. Now, question is, can can people in both sides still roam the earth? Don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there have been some things. I, only thing I know for sure on this on this uh, on this aspect is that. Those who are not of Christ won't access the paradise God has created for them. And those who are in paradise won't access the Hades uh, prepared for unbelievers. And so, but eventually, uh, paradise will be transformed into a new creation, a new physical glorified creation. But here again, we'll use the term physical. That comes with a qualifier. Because as we look at uh, the resurrected body, it's not going to be exactly like this physical body. Uh, and people who say that it's going to be exactly like this physical body, to, in my mind and estimation, they are cheapening what the glorified body is going to be like. Uh, but this paradise will be will be transformed and remade into a new creation, whereas Hades and she- or Sheol in the Old Testament will be poured out into the lake of fire. Uh, which we find later on in the book of Revelation. So the hell that exists now 
isn't going to be the hell that's to come. And the heaven that exists now is going to be transformed into an even better heaven after the transformation, after the resurrection happens and the transformation of the entire creation takes place. So for the unbeliever, the one who rejects Christ and enters into eternity, things are going to be bad. Those who enter into eternity without Christ, things are going to get bad, but they're going to get worse. But for the child of God who enters into heaven, things are going to be great and they're going to get even greater still. And so the heaven that's coming, the heaven that exists now is fantastic, but the heaven that's coming after the resurrection, a new creation is going to defy all, all, all even imaginings. And by the way, that's going to be one of the things I talk about in the, in the book uh, conversations about heaven that even our best estimations of what heaven's going to be like pale in comparison to what God has actually prepared for us. Hmm. Yeah. So and I've heard this and I don't remember if you and I talked about it, but, um, but for the believer, this is the worst it's ever going to be. Yep. For the unbeliever, this is the best it's ever going to be. Yep. <laughs> Correct on both points. Yeah, and and one I was gonna say, and and this kind of backs up to the the thieves the thieves on the cross. Right there in that statement, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is actually revealing his foreknowledge of what was going to happen because the thieves had not had their legs broken yet, had not been dead, killed. Powerful. Absolutely. So, so then how are we glorified at the second coming then? Great question. So second coming, what happens at the second coming? What's going to happen then? Believers will be glorified in the same manner that Christ was. What that means is that when Christ returns, believers will be resurrected just as Christ was on the first Easter Sunday. That means that the Easter we celebrate coming up uh, on Easter Sunday is is the first fruits of the resurrection that we're all going to experience one day. So we've got some more scriptures we want to take a look at. So Easter, in my in my estimation, Christmas is great, but in my estimation, yeah. Easter Amen. should be front and center to Amen. everyone's theology because this is a foretaste of what's going to happen for us. Yeah, so let's take a look at... Me. Absolutely. Let's take a look at Romans eight twenty three. Says not only that. Uh, well, let's go back to. Um, well, let's go back to verse twenty. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of Christ, of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. What's that redemption of our bodies? It's talking about the resurrection that's to come. Now, let's also take a look uh, here again, as this is the final stage of our salvation, let's take a look at Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 13. 
Notice he says here, in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So here again, the redemption of the possession talks about the resurrection that we're going to uh, experience. Let's take a look here again at First Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 1, going down to verse 3. And it says here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. And that salvation ready to be revealed at the last time is that resurrection that happens. So in Romans 5, 9 through 10, let's take a look at this. Romans 5, um, 9 through 10. Um, actually, let's go ahead and down to verse 11. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive this reconciliation. And so uh, look no further to let's take a look at First Thessalonians. I think it's chapter four. Um here we go in verse 15. Uh, well, let me go back up to verse 13. I tell you what, Curtis, I won't give you the honor of reading this passage of scripture because this is about enough to make you in a Baptist shout. Uh, verses 13 through 18. Okay. So verse 13, we do not, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep. So that you will be not grieving or not grieved like the rest of them. We have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel, archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them with the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. So that is what we have to look forward to as, as children of God. We are, uh, we are redeemed. Uh, we, we have this resurrection that's going to happen, uh, one of these days. We're going to experience the same type of glorified body that Christ had. We're going to have our own Easter moment whenever Christ returns. Uh, I don't know if it, you know, the Bible seems to suggest that it's going to happen as fast as lightning comes from the east to the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. So I have a feeling it's going to be uh, it's going to be an amazing experience. Um, 
completely. But then at the moment, the twinkling of an eye, uh, our bodies will be resurrected. Let me just let me say this. I, f- I was flipping through some different things on YouTube, and I came across this story of a story of a, of a guy who was a believer, and he was out in Utah and went to a, what's called the Nutty Putty Cave System out that way. And the reason they call it that way is because they call it Nutty Putty is because these caves are so shallow that you have to really maneuver yourself through these different caves. And unfortunately, he took a wrong turn and got himself stuck in one of those one of those caves, one of those tunnels. And unfortunately, they couldn't get him out. They tried and tried and tried. And unfortunately, he was upside down and the blood just your body can't pump blood being upside down for a long period of time. And so his heart eventually gave out, but they had to seal him in the cave. They, they put a concrete slab so that no one else would go in that cave system and put a plaque in his honor because they could not get his body out to this day. His body is still in that cave because they could not get him out. But because he's a believer, when Christ returns, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he's going to do what those rescuers could not do. His body's coming out of there. Yeah. 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 It's coming out. So even if we're nothing more than a, than a speck of dust, uh, or if we're stuck in a cave or if we became fish food at sea, no matter what the case may be, our bodies will be recreated. And can you imagine all the sailors lost at sea? And seeing that image of all of the resurrections has taken place out of the ocean of the Atlantic and Pacific and uh, all the different oceans around the world, seeing saints of God being resurrected, coming out of the water, coming out of caves, coming out of all different places, going up to meet the Lord in the air. Question. Are believers and non-believers resurrected? Yes, they are. Absolutely. Great question. So unbelievers won't receive their resurrection at the second coming of Christ. And there will be some people who were saved during the time of tribulation that will receive their resurrection at the end of the, at the end of, uh, of the tribulational period going into the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, at the millennial reign of Christ, there's judgments that's going to be going on there for a th- period of a thousand years. Um, <laughs> Question is often asked, why does God release Satan one more time? I don't know the answer to that, as to, except for uh, maybe the resurrection happens there for unbelievers, and they all just have their grand party to the lake of fire together. That's the only thing I can come up with as far as that goes. But uh, one thing's for sure, that there will be a resurrection of the condemned. They will stand before the great white throne. As believers, my understanding is, we won't stand before the great white throne. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the things we do in the body of Christ will be judged. Rewards will be given and uh, for the things we do in Christ for the good things. And, um, but we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers, unbelievers will stand before the, the great white throne and will give an account of them, of their lives and, um, punishments will be handed out at that, uh, at that throne. I'm glad to know that I'll be standing before the great, the uh, judgment seat of Christ and not the great white throne. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
I, you know, and, and uh, was listening to Dr. Michael Brown just recently actually touch on this. And, and he had mentioned something. And I thought this was kind of unique because I was like, okay, I, I'm going to do a lot more reading and research on this and, and really figure, find out what he was really talking about. Um, and so I'll have to get back to you on on what I what I'm finding there but yeah it was it had to do with the um with the time period of that thousand year or millennial reign um because even with Jesus God would sh- God would turn this, this the devil loose Satan loose one last time to actually reveal the hearts of those that were actually within the millennial reign that were actually born in that time period um just to show the depravity or the free will of their choice to do, to go away from God. I would be interested to see what you find out, uh, come up with on that. I think that's going to be an interesting exploration. Yeah. And there was a, there was a poem and I'll be danged if I can find it, find it. Um, let me see. Anyway, it was a poem about standing before the great white throne. And um it was it was really good. It was very good. And I'll have to see if I can find it and we'll put it up maybe um even just as maybe not a not an article, but just have the poem put back up um so people can see it. But it, it was very interesting and, and uh talks about all these people um just standing there waiting to be judged by God and uh People saying, how can you judge me because of this and that, this situation, that situation. And it, it's very moving, very, very moving. So anyway, um, number five here, the fifth question, what can we know about our glorified bodies? Well, let's go back to our handy dandy uh, Logos Bible software because we've got some more right. scripture. 5.0. <laughs> let's go back to our handy dandy uh log uh, system here so three passages of scripture in particular uh tell us about the change that will be produced here again folks my book coming out here very soon i'm waiting to get back some uh information to send it into the publisher is finished got a few more little edits to do before to be ready to send out i mean to, to be finalized but uh, it, it is it's on its way. It'll be coming out hopefully here within a few months, whole lot or whole lot quicker than what I had in, first anticipated. But called conversations about heaven, and so I'm going to go into great detail on this issue in that book as well, talking about the the glorified body. And so I'm going to hit on a few things. But there's three passages of scripture uh, that we want to look at as it pertains to the glorified body. First is Philippians, uh, Philippians 3.20. And Curtis, if you will, read uh, Philippians 3.20 and 21 for us. So 20 says, our citizenship is, is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there the lord jesus christ he will he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself 
There's a word, I don't know if you can see it, it's popped up at the bottom. I've got my little cursor over the word likeness, and there's a word that comes up down to bottom called uh, sumorphos. Morphos is talking about form or even a change in form. Um, or, or So here, or, or really morph is, is talking about the a form of something. So sumorphon uh, talks about the likeness indicating that our bodies will be similar in form to that of Christ at his resurrection. Now, think about the resurrected body of Jesus. It was physical, but it was more than physical because he could appear and re- he could disappear, reappear uh, at will. Uh, this is kind of what you, you, you see with, with, uh, even some angels or even what God does. God is spirit, but he can, can take on a body. You know, he could take on a body. Uh, not saying that we're by any stretch of imagination be like God, but we'll be in the likeness of Christ. Mm-hmm. So this body, Jesus could even kind of it appear like appear in a room at will. And um, eat broiled fish, but then disappear. It's a body, but it's more than just this physical body. Paul calls it a spiritual body. Okay, so let's take a look at Second um, Corinthians five. Second Corinthians, ooh, Corinthians five, <laughs> one through five. <laughs> we we've read this already. But it talks about the the earthly uh, dwelling, the earthly tent. Uh, it talks about here Paul envisions the body will have a body eternal in nature, not made with human hands, coming from God. Uh, it'll be our heavenly dwelling that which mortal is swallowed up by life. Um, so this body is is given to us by God. So we we've, we've read that already, so we won't reread it again. But let's go now to. First uh, Corinthians 15, First uh, Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, and we will take a look at First uh, Corinthians 15, 38, First Corinthians 15, 38. And so I'll go ahead and read verses um, 38, well, 38 through 50. I don't know. That, well, well, we'll go ahead and do it. So. He says here, God gives the body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different than that of the earthly ones. There is the splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. 
And just as we have born the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Where I, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. But he goes on down to say, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body will be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body will be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. So the glorified body, we see three, four comparisons. This present body is perishable. It gets sick. It dies. Subject to disease and death, the resurrected glorified body is incorruptible, immune to all disease and decay, no vaccinations required. Two, the present body is sown in dishonor. The resurrected body will be glorious. Uh, It'll be perfected. Three, the, the present body is weak. It grows weak over time. The resurrected body is powerful, growing stronger over time. Fourth, the present body is physical, uh, sukikon. Uh, the resurrection by the resurrected body will be spiritual, a glorified body. Uh, the the uh, somatico uh, the, the somaticosomas, I think is what it's called, uh, or the somaticosomas, I believe is what it's called. But anyhow, it means a spiritual body. So while the glorified body will be physical, it, the nature of its glorification indicates that it's something more than physical. In in the book Conversations About Heaven coming out, I kind of liken it more to, you know, you have physical and you have liquid, but you those are two different things. But you also have plasma, which is a kind of a combination of the two. I kind of wonder if the glorified body might be something likened to that. Um, it is physical, but it's yeah. more than physical. There are, certain, there are more powers that we have with this body that you just don't have with this normal run-of-the-mill body that we have now. There's some, going to be something to it. It is physical, but there is something more to it as it's intermingled with the spiritual in a form that this body just simply is not. When Jesus ate Jesus ate fish on the sea on the shore with his disciples after the resurrection, mm-hmm. and he went through walls, appeared and did, and went away, and he was able to somehow you could say I don't want to say he somehow was able to disguise himself that the that his disciples walking on the road to Emmaus couldn't tell that it was him Mm -hmm. so there's there's something there that that if we're going to be like him there's something there that that then uh becomes an attribute to us which would be we'd be able to um move and, and do things um that we could never even think of moving and doing things now and here's the thing 
it may be even better than we imagine. I mean, that resurrected body was fantastic. But Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven brings up a point, and I further explore this in my book as well, that Jesus had not been assumed in, in, into heaven at that time. So right. there may be further powers or further uh, transformation that happened as even as he went to heaven with this glorified body he has now. And if we're going to be made in the likeness of Christ, who knows what more awaits us uh, with that glorified body? That he now has. If we're going to be made in the light, of course, now he's Jesus, he's God incarnate, and we're not. But if we're made in the likeness, as the scripture says, of the resurrected body, then you have to imagine we're going to have many of the same attributes that his resurrected body even now has. Not the same level of power, of course, not the same level and degree that he holds them, but still to some point and degree, we'll have some of those traits what does it entail folks it's like the argument i make in this book coming up heaven is going to be far greater than your wildest imaginations Mm. you and i've talked about this a little bit you know um on at various other times but things that that we have desires for here um you know things that we just love and cherish and have such a desire for um Will those things still be available for us there um, to enjoy in our new glorified bodies? Because there's things like, you know, we we like we talked. You know, we, there's things that I loved about um, racing and the aspects of that, uh, just in that atmosphere that I just love doing, being part of. Is that going to be something that we'll be able to enjoy with our glorified body? And you talked about, you know, weightlifting and 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 breaking all sorts of records with our glorified body. I, I think and that's that's one of the things I talk about. It's the main thesis of my book, Conversations About Heaven, that if God is that, then which nothing greater can can be conceived. And heaven is the greatest place that he's going to give us. Then heaven is that place in which nothing greater can be conceived. Uh, to, to steal a line from uh, Anselm of Canterbury. Um, I think that whatever is important to you, as long as it's not a sin, something sinful, I, yeah. I don't see any reason in the world why it wouldn't be there. So for yeah. instance, racing, I don't see any, I don't see any reason whatsoever. If we had this body that could, could come in the way we see the resurrected body of Jesus. He could eat broiled fish. He could sit down and have a conversation. Then why not be able to build your own motocross uh, bike or ATV and have um, uh, a race down the fields of heaven? Because in the new creation, we often think of the new Jerusalem. We look at the new Jerusalem being the capital city and think that that's all of heaven. That's not what it says. New Jerusalem is just a capital city. There's a whole brand new creation uh, outside of the city gates of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. So why not? And the wonderful thing about this, Curtis, imagine imagine a life where you didn't have to worry about having an accident and wrecking and dying uh, because there's always that little tinge of fear. You don't want you push it to the limit, but you don't want to go too far because you want to get back safely. What if that's no longer there? Death doesn't exist in heaven. The fear of death doesn't exist in heaven. So can you imagine what type of racing you guys are going to have in heaven? 
Hmm. <laughs> Some of that fear, though, is what keeps you from keeps you from pushing too far. Where you... <laughs> so yeah, I, get, I mean, man, just just we had talked about that, Brian, and it, and while we were just discussing this, it just kind of brought that up. It's like, what what things do we you know enjoy that we could you know. But you think about it, if that fear's not there because you don't have to worry about dying in heaven because death has died. It's life everlasting. I mean, that's a whole other dimension of racing you're talking about there. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, boy. So how is <laughs> our glorification found in the New Testament then? Yeah, oh, in the new creation. So in the new creation, so we have we have the intermediate state, which is a period of time between our death and the resurrection. We are resurrected. We have the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of the millennial reign of Christ, we have a new creation. And let's just take a look at this bad boy here. It's just getting better and better. But let me just, first of all, before we go here, before we go here, let's take a look at Genesis Three fourteen through nineteen, uh, Genesis three fourteen through nineteen. Um, so let's go ahead and read this. Um, so it says here, the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock and more than any animal. You'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring." Uh, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That's talking about Jesus and Satan, Jesus defeating Satan. He said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains and you'll bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. He said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it. By means of painful labor all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat from the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. Again, remember Solomon says the spirit returns to God who gave it. So there is a point where creation is, where the sinful nature of humanity at the fall brought about, evoked a a change in creation. And so Paul talks about how even creation itself is anticipating the day of its redemption. So let's take a look at Romans 8, 18 through 25. Romans 8, 18 through 25. And Curtis, if you will, read this for us. Yeah. So it says in 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay hmm, there's something into the <laughs> yeah uh into the glorious uh freedom of God's children for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now not only that we uh, ourselves have been have the spirit uh 
the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Mm. Mm. So here, simply put, creation itself is groaning, anticipating the day of this new creation. Now, let's take a look at what this new creation looks like. And we see this in Revelation 21. And notice he says in here that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, mm. new heaven and earth, new creation, new universe, new universe. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Capital city is not all creation. Capital city, though. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, we could go into chapter 22. We Time is getting past us. We've probably done when it well over an hour. But uh, just suffice it to say that there's going to be a brand new creation at this uh, at this wonderful time and period. Yeah. And the and the sea when he's referring to that, that's also the chaos. The, yes, the, the, that's what was referred to there. Anyway, um, can we be assured that we will partake in the glorification that God provides? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, people on both sides of the camp, Calvinist and Arminian, it may surprise people to to know that there are Calvinists who often worry whether they're elect or not. And uh, there are Arminians who don't bask in the glory of, uh, of, of their salvation. So we have assurance. That's why I like the term that John Wesley coined, assurance of our salvation. We can be assured that we are saved. Uh, because Matthew, because Jesus says in Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and, and learn from me, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we can know if we're saved. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22, that, uh, that, that it's God who strengthens us together with you in Christ, who has anointed us. He's given us the spirit as a down payment. So if you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, that's that's a that's a good that's a good clue. In fact, it's a it's a it's a marker of your salvation as he is your down is the down payment of your salvation. And even the aged apostle writes in first John five uh, that he writes these things so that you may know that you have eternal life uh, in verse 13. So there we have assurance and our relationship with Christ. And so as a preacher, uh, a pastor I had many, many years ago, he says that we can know that we know that we know that we're born again. We can have that assurance of our salvation. And so that's a wonderful truth. God's not going to, he's not going to go back on his promises. So we have that assurance of our salvation. And because of that assurance, we can grow in our relationship with Christ. We don't have to keep going back to the starting line and think, did I lose it today? I had a bad thought. I must have lost it today. Or or constantly, if you're Calvinist, say, am I truly one of the elect? Do I have a chance? Or am I just eternally condemned without nothing I can do on my part to, to turn it to the other one? Listen, both sides of the equation, I think, miss the ball. They miss it because we have assurance of our salvation 
And from that, we can grow and develop and be the people of God that he's called us to be. Right. Yeah. And it tells us in scripture that the spirit bears witness to our spirit, mm-hmm. telling us that we are saved. Absolutely. Well, there it is, folks. And we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us. And we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as you strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast. And until next time, soldier on. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristie.com. If you enjoy the Bellator Christie podcast, why not join us for the live taping of the show? This show is recorded every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And to catch the live show, consider going over to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. We hope to see you there.